This is Creating Utopia, the podcast, ideas to change the world, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled, How Does Jordan Peterson Know What's True? Since I was introduced to Jordan Peterson, there's been something that's bothered me just a little bit, something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I like to approach every new topic with a a blank slate, every new individual, even every moment with an open mind. And I realize that no matter what happens, that what I hear, what I see, ultimately there's an opportunity to learn something. This podcast is intended to provide an insight about Professor Peterson that I'm almost certain you haven't heard yet. Maybe it will make you reconsider your position on him, whatever that position may be. If you're unfamiliar, I'll give you a brief intro. He's a clinical psychologist and a professor at the University of Toronto. His first recent flash of intellect and what brought him to the attention of the world was his lack of support of legislated transgender pronoun use. He's been adamant that he is pro-LGBTQ, and he is simply pointing out that to legislate what we must say in any realm is in violation of one's right to free speech. Whether you agree or disagree, his argument is worth listening to. Moving forward, Peterson shared his lectures regarding the value of religion from a perspective that atheists and agnostics have found uniquely appealing. Now he's sharing a self-help type of message, particularly to young disenfranchised men, built around what I would describe as Adam Smith meets John Stuart Mill, some kind of self-interested utilitarianism. Now, the first thing that I'm interested in here is uh, a conversation that he had on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, He described the process that he went through in writing his first book. He said it took him 14 years of editing and re-editing. He described going through each sentence meticulously over and over again until he felt it was perfected. I think he used terms uh, along the lines of it was to the point where he could no longer criticize any aspect of it. It couldn't be pulled apart in any way down to each word. Rogan was impressed by this, and he even mentioned it later on in a different episode saying, it shows how careful a thinker Peterson is, and how Peterson would be unwilling to present ideas that don't stand up to heavy criticism or argument. I agree with Joe, but I want to raise the first red flag here, and maybe it's just me, But it worries me that someone would spend 14 years criticizing their own work, especially with Peterson's understanding of the finite nature of life. To strive for perfection and to obsess over one's work is nothing new, and many times it leads to incredible success. The question here is, to demand perfection from an imperfect being seems to contradict his conception of what mortals are capable of. What worries me more, however, is that he finished this task. 
was it that he was completely satisfied with the perfection of his own thoughts? Because if that's the case, anyone who is 100% confident in the ideas they are presenting, they're unable to be criticized, which is something that makes me feel uncomfortable. If he wasn't satisfied, this means he must have given up. And I don't blame him if that's the case, because it doesn't seem wise to spend 14 years of your adult life perfecting something that is by definition imperfect and can never be rid of said imperfections. But let's move on to the main concern I have, and it is illustrated to me as clearly as it can be in the very first conversation Peterson had with Sam Harris. It was the Waking Up Podcast episode 62, titled, What is True? If you've heard it, it was most likely a podcast you listened to once, you maybe turned it off halfway through, and if you did listen and pay attention, if you're anything like me, you were a little frustrated with how the conversation went. You most likely ended off merely looking forward to them sitting down and trying again. But that conversation is worth re-listening to. I think it could be the canary in the coal mine for Professor Peterson, and while not a knockdown argument or fatal to everything that he's espousing, what worries me is that his communicative style is, is compelling enough for him to continue for the rest of his life without ever addressing this fundamental problem at the root of his thinking. What is true? This is where the conversation hit the wall. I'm not going to pretend that I have any type of solution here, and I won't pick a side regarding whose conception of truth is more true. What I am going to do is take a moment and constructively criticize Jordan for something I do believe he deserves to be criticized for, not to attack him in any way because I respect him. I hope he keeps working and pushing conversations forward. And I feel, no matter what your thoughts are about him, we all can see that he's a role model for many and provides an exemplar for those of us who want to be heard. At the very least, he's shown that if your message is compelling, people will listen. So what is true? Well, in that conversation, it certainly is true to say that Jordan spent an hour almost doing exactly what he has been so strongly opposed to. He did what he is rightfully worried about others doing, and something that if he recognized it in himself, I would be very curious to wonder if he would acknowledge it, or confabulate a reason as to why I, myself, am wrong. If Jordan wants to live in a world where two well-educated, thoughtful individuals cannot agree on the validity of basic truth claims? Is this not the end result of a neo-Marxist, culturally relativistic society in which extreme leftist ideals would have completely taken over? I would be hard-pressed to imagine he would agree that what we need to be doing as a society is spending time arguing that 2 plus 2 equals 4 may very well turn out not to be true 
if for some reason it proved catastrophic from a Darwinian perspective. This is what is scary about Jordan Peterson to me. He doesn't realize the strength, or maybe he does, but he certainly can't predict whether or not what he is saying is going to prove to be a benefit to society. And the potential harms that come with redefining words to suit a certain group or faction's purpose is dangerous, as Jordan has said himself many times. It frustrates me right now thinking about it, because here he has tempted even me into differentiating between two different versions of truth, the one he proposes and the standard accepted definition. I understand that there could be an alternate definition of truth where wisdom and Darwinian survival are attached, a sort of umbrella term, truth plus, but we could play that game until the end of time with every word and concept. Just as the so-called neo-Marxists that Jordan has been protesting against can redefine gender or racism to suit a certain need, whether that need is real or is justified or not, that idea is dangerous. F for him to be sitting there with Sam Harris, who from my estimation is just as thoughtful, if not more thoughtful than Peterson, and it would be a coin flip on who is more well-read, to be trying to tell Sam that we all need to redefine the word truth, or that we can't know if something is true until we see the consequences it has for the survival of the species. This is just nonsense, and it's neo-Marxist nonsense, and I can't believe we've all just forgotten about that conversation, or that because Peterson is a very skilled communicator, it was easy to miss the flaws in his way of thinking. I have to give credit to Sam Harris for not letting that conversation move forward. That was very important. Redefining words to suit your own purpose, although I know he would argue it's not his purpose, is a tactic that you can get away with when you're talking to people who don't know what you're talking about. When Peterson is lecturing students, it might simply be easier or more beneficial to linguistically couple concepts like wisdom and beauty with truth. This might even make it easier for the students to grasp the concept. Or, who knows, at a young enough age, if this was the conception of truth that we all were taught, who knows what the consequences that may have for the development of individuals and society. But that isn't the way the world is functioning today, and once we have knowledge, we can't go backwards. If it was really that important for him, he would need to create a new concept, a new word. There's no problem with that. It happens all the time. But after listening to that conversation about five times now since it was released, I finally feel confident that I've pinpointed what makes me uneasy about Jordan Peterson. Is he unaware of his shortcomings? Does he have an agenda that he isn't being completely honest about? I don't know, but I find myself asking, as you'll find I often do, what are they trying to accomplish? I think he wants to help people. 
From everything I've read and heard, he seems to genuinely want to make the world a better place, as do most people. My only question is, does he realize the power that he's wielding? Does he realize what he could be doing to young men if he has them reject notions of truth based on a half-understood idea of Darwinian survival and value? We already have a percentage of the population who is willing to believe the earth is flat. So to end this off, Professor Peterson and all those who listened to that conversation with Sam Harris and thought Peterson made perfect sense. If it gave us a Darwinian advantage if we all started to believe that the earth was flat, would that make it true? Would you then be willing to say the earth is flat as well? If there is wisdom here, I can't seem to find it. Which brings me to the final segment, How to Create Utopia, the way I end off every episode with a semi-actionable piece of information that can hopefully make the world or life just a little bit better. This episode was a little different, a little more critical, and if you were looking for a silver lining, it might have been hard to find. But here it is. We create utopia by speaking our mind. If, if you were to ask me, is there anything that could be said that should be off limits? I would say no. I've adopted the position of having no problem if there are words that other people don't want to hear. And I try to respect that to any level in individual and public situations. I actually know a lot of people who don't like the word moist, so I try my best not to say it. But words are just words, and ultimately, it is better that we have everyone feel safe to reveal any of their intentions, their thoughts, their feelings, their desires and goals. They should reveal this through their words first rather than reveal these things through action alone. Words can make us feel bad. They can cause us to relive memories we wish we could forget. But words are not violence in the same way that violence is violence. And the reason I say that is because although words can hurt, they can be argued with, reasoned with, rejected, and proven wrong. Violence can't be argued with, and it can't be reasoned with, or rejected, or proven wrong. Violence can't be taken back either. Words can. You can change your mind. We create utopia by encouraging everyone to say everything that's on their mind, no matter what it is. There should be no thought that is taboo, no idea or word that is unsayable or unthinkable. The worst thing we can do in this space is let someone feel that they have a thought that is deemed unthinkable by society. That person is going to feel rejected. They might think they're sick. They might end up disliking themselves simply for having thoughts that others have told them they can't or shouldn't have.
If you find someone who says something sexist or racist, sure, you could yell at them. Tell them they're racist or sexist. Tell them that's disgusting. And then move on. As we all see day to day on social media directed toward, to use an unavoidable hyperbole, everyone. Or what you could do is try to engage and interact with the person who has this harmful idea. We can try to ask them why they think that way. Show them examples that might contradict the way they're thinking. If we speak our mind in a respectful way and allow everyone else to speak their minds in a respectful way, there is a greater possibility that we all will see the racist or sexist person just had a bad idea or a bad experience and they needed more new or true information. The one thing we all don't need is to be told how terrible a person we are simply because we have ideas that are different than the ideas of others. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Utopia. Follow me on Twitter at creating underscore utopia. Make sure to ask questions, comment. I'll make every effort to reply to them all. Next week's podcast is going to be on Dave Rubin and the Rubin Report. <laughs>